think I'm live. What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Sarah from Sarah Styles here. We are live right now on my YouTube channel with Shop Foxbury and Girly Girl Styles. I am a reseller on Poshmark and on eBay if you're new here. And I also have an analytical dashboard for the reseller, an analytical dashboard for reseller platforms, and then also one that looks at your inventory and tells you what sells. Before we get started into the panel, I'm super excited about this, but I do want to note I am doing a big survey for Poshmark data. I want to look at the data and see what helps drive sales. Do followers matter? Do listings matter? Do share, you know, and how much do they matter? So we can all use our time efficiently. In order to do this, I need data. There's a survey down in the link below. It's completely anonymous. It takes less than five minutes for you to fill it out. And then I, the more data that I have, the better. And the bigger variance that I have in data, the better. So you have to have sold one item to have data on Poshmark. I need all the data. Um, so fill that out below, share it with your PFFs. I have a post on my Instagram as well. Share that to your stories. Um, because it is anonymous, you do need to make sure to subscribe to my YouTube and then also follow me on Instagram so that you can get the results. But it's going to be super exciting. But without further ado, let's get started. So I have Girly Girl Styles, Tori from Girly Girl Styles here, and then also Brittany. I get, I'm going to call her Shop Foxborough. <laughs> I'm not used to saying her name. Brittany from Shop Foxborough. Um, I'm going to go ahead and connect them. Brittany, we'll start with Brittany. Brittany. She has been reselling for eight years. She is a mom of two boys. Um, she mostly does it full-time, 30 to 40 hours a week. Her style is fantastic. She she finds the best prints. She <laughs> totally knows. She just posted a video today. today. Yes. Um, and then she has one on Anthro Brands, too, about she's really good with Anthro and Mod Cloth. Great at vintage. Um, but then she also has an Etsy handmade that she, 12 years, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 12 years. So this is, um, Brittany, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that to myself. This it's okay. Is, it's okay. Um, go ahead. If I forgot anything that you think is important and you want to include, um, and tell us a little bit about where your business name comes from and how you got into reselling. Um, so I've had my handmade shop for, like I said, 12 years. So I've been on Etsy for a really long time. Um, when I hit, I think it was like around 2012, I started to sort of like, I challenged myself to dress up, not down for a whole year. Um, I watched way too much Project Runway. Oh, um, and so I just decided that I was going to dress up every day for a full year. And so I started hitting the thrift stores a lot to sort of like find new clothes. Um, and around the same time I got into vintage. So I started to sort of, it was before my handmade shop was like, big, you know, but I started to sort of like sell some of my vintage on Etsy in that shop. And I had pretty good success with it. And you know, a lot of my like friends and everything were really supportive. Um, and so in 2013, I believe I launched um, Foxborough Vintage. And I wanted something that was kind of like local, but I'm also like a really woodland lover. So I just kind of looked at like the map, local map. And we have a place in Massachusetts called Foxborough, but it's F-O-X-B-O-R-O-U-G-H. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do a play on words with that. And I switched it to borough, like they live in a borough. So 
I did Foxborough Vintage. Um, and then I had a good friend of mine, an illustrator, do my logo for me. And I just loved how it came out. Um, and yeah, so I sold Vintage almost exclusively until 2015 when I had my first son. Um, and then I really found myself getting into the mod cloth community and um, learning about like buy sell trade groups on Facebook, which I got to be like a really big part of. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I learned about Poshmark, and then I listed some stuff on Poshmark that wasn't selling in my buy sell trade groups, and I had good luck with that. Um, and then just gradually, I started listing more and more until I was like, Poshmark is the bomb. So. <laughs> I've sort of switched most of my business over to Poshmark. Um, and then I do a little bit of business on Etsy for vintage. And I still have my handmade shop, which does really well. Thank, I'm going to pop um, Tori on as well. I'm, she's kind of just hanging there. But um, very interesting. I love, I mean, you know your mod cloth and anthro. It is something I cannot sell. Um, so I watch, I, I think you have to know that little niche. And so I'm trying to learn because everyone says that it's a niche um, or that it sells and it just does not work for me. But let's get um, Tori on. She is from Girly Girl Styles. She, she's been selling for 25 years, people. Like that's just crazy. Let me pop her on. She's been selling for 25 years. She does work a full-time job. So she does reselling 10 to 20 hours, but her husband is a full-time reseller and they have an awesome YouTube channel. Um, definitely. She shares amazing content on her YouTube channel. Lots of data-driven this is how you run a business, the back end um, of it that I don't think you get to see a lot. She shows that she's very transparent in what she shows and how she does it. Um, she did Poshmark to become debt free, which is like glorious. Most of my Poshmark money is going towards my student loans because they're like ridiculous. Um, and if I did not love her enough, she told me that this year her goal is to donate $10,000 to charity. Like, how amazing is that? Um, so welcome, Tori from Girly Girl Styles. I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, where did your name come from and how did you kind of get into reselling? Sure. Um, okay, so we'll start with my name. That's an easy one. Uh, I've always been a very big feminist. Um, just really, you know, thinking that I work uh, really hard to support all women. So the reason I'm telling you that is because it is related to my name. So I'm super girly. And it's something that when I was growing up, I kind of struggled with because it was like, if I was girly, was I woman enough? Was I feminist enough? So then I embraced it. And I'm, I mean, I'm totally girly, obviously. So then um, the girl part of it, the GRRL comes from Riot Girl culture, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, so that was where I got to bring in the little bit of the, the girly with the girl. Uh, and then of course style, just because style is something that I really believe in. So um, our own personal style. So that's where the name comes from. Um, it took a long time to come up with it. I'll be honest. It was, you know, all those bubbles and all the different writing out all of your, um, you know, beliefs and everything that represented you. So I was really excited and no one has it. So that's also mm -hmm. really exciting. <laughs> it's hard. That is hard to find. It's, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, in the, the 25 years part, a lot of people have a hard time believing that. But I mean, I started um, in reselling from a very young age, but I also started managing a buy sell trade store when I was 18. Uh, and then uh, I have been reselling pretty much my whole life. I not having a lot of money 
Um, I approached all of my purchases with the ideology that if I was going to buy it, it needed to have a resale value so that I could still have my rotating closet, but not spend a ton of money. Um, and then I treated all my clothing really well to sell it. So um, yeah, so that's kind of the history. There's a lot more in there, but yeah, I like it. Um, I've been thrifty my entire life because we grew up, um, I don't want to say poor, but we were on a very tight, strict budget. Um, and I actually did upcycle for a while. Um, so I've been mm. doing upcycle for not 25 years, but for quite a while. Um, but this reselling thing, and it was, I mean, you can probably attest to some of this. Doing it online is fantastic. Like I used to have to like do trade shows and fashion. And now I can like sit there and drink a glass of wine at nine o'clock at night and list. Like it's amazing. Well, I wish I had it like 15 years ago. Um, yeah. And one of the things Bill and I um, talked about, so I was a manager at Buffalo Exchange when I was in college and I worked at one that was a franchise. And so I always wanted to open up, you know, my own, you know, have that like the vintage piece and the cool piece, but we, I mean, we couldn't afford it. I wasn't going to spend the money. So now we get to have this virtual, you know, store that we can curate and bring our own customers in. And it's, it's pretty amazing where we are today with having online. Well, and what's funny is I sold a lot of my upcycle at the Buffalo exchange. <laughs> they have, I don't know if the one that you worked at, but the ones here in Denver have, like a little, they had a little local area where you could like sell handmade things. And so I put my stuff, but then you had to hope that that one person that fit your size and had your style, you know, came in. So this is just an amazing, amazing world that we live in um, with all of these options for eBay and Posh and everything. Um, so I want to tell a little bit of people why I brought this group of people together. I'm going to be doing some, uh, quite a few lives. I think it's very important and there's a lot of value in talking with each other and getting um, ideas and just bouncing things off of each other and different things work for different people. And I brought Brittany and Tori here because they both use their data um, and they do use the dashboard, but they use their data to drive their business and drive their strategies. But we all kind of do it in a separate or in a different way. So I want to get dig into the data um, and talk about it. Girly Girl Style released uh, what sold, no, 2019, how much I made video. And it is, oh my God, it's amazing. Even my husband was like watching it and he was like, I want to, because he's in finance. So he helps me with the dashboards and stuff too. And so he was like really into it. Um, and he was like, oh, she did a great job and everything. Um, and then Brittany just released her video. And a lot of their videos have data in the background about her top brands and what she's going to be looking for. So I want to kind of look back at 2019 before we move forward with it. Um, so let's start with Brittany, 2019, what are some lessons that you learned? And then also, um, what are you most proud of in 2019? So actually I did a video um, where I kind of looked at all 2019 and I set my reseller goals for 2020. And really helpful. Like I took a really deep dive and looked at like all my different categories and what my sell through rates were. And one of the things I learned was that I need to really focus on um, 
looking at the a my ASP in like a bigger way. So I have a really bad tendency to go thrifting at the bins and then pick up like a little, a lot of like really small stuff that I might be able to make like 10 to $15 on. But I like rationalize it because, hey, it's only like 15 or 25 cents because it's super lightweight. Like it might be a pair of gloves or a handkerchief or an, a vintage apron or something like that. But the reality is that the amount of time that it's going to take me to photograph that, get my measurements done, get it into my inventory system, edit my photos, get it uploaded with a description, type out my tags if I list it on Etsy, and then put time and effort into sharing that. Um, it's really like, it's almost like a negative value. So even though I'm only paying a very small amount for it, it sort of like all of the expenses of listing it add up because, you know, your time is money and I have two kids. I make dinner, you know, five, six, seven nights a week sometimes. And so I really have to like prioritize what is important. Um, and so I decided that I was really going to stop picking up those things and look at my ASP as like uh, a room for a place I can grow, you know, well, and I feel like this is, I mean, what you're saying now is when I started actually looking at my data is exactly how I was feeling. And it's so, so, so hard at the bins because you're like, yeah. Yeah, it's only like 25 cents and you're there yeah. and you have the high and, and then you get home and you're like, well, like it takes me as long to list and do all the things that you said, this $10 yeah. item as it does this $50 item. Exactly. And what was happening was a lot of times I would like, stockpile a lot of it so i would pick up like gloves or scarves or things like that and i would just like put it all aside until it was winter time or springtime or whatever the right season was and then i would find that i'm spending a whole day of my time just listing like 20 scarves that i've just gradually stockpiled and i've finally worked through my death pile at this point um so i don't have a death pile anymore which is great um but oh my God, all of those like tiny little accessories and just like things that you pick up without thinking. And it's just, you know, I had to take a really long look at, do I even want to list this? And a lot of the times the things that I did decide to list, I was just doing it because it's vintage and I wanted to save it and not so much because I especially love this pair of white, you know, vintage gloves. <laughs> like it doesn't really speak to me but i just don't want to like i don't want to get rid of it because i don't know where it's going to go i want to find it at home so i'm kind of like i have a soft heart for that sort of stuff so well yeah. and so something that i do with those um and something different works for everybody but i will save a whole bunch of like parts and stuff because it costs next to nothing at the bins and take a couple pictures. I don't do like a full blown out listing, but then I offer them as free items, kind of similar to how you do your boutique items, right? Oh, to like yeah. people to your closet. And then yeah. it's free, but then it gets them to go back to the, because a lot of people I find don't shop the entire closet. Yeah. Um, so it gets people to go back to my entire closet and buy more bundles, but not ask for as big of a discount because they're getting a free item. Um, right. But yeah. you still have to go through and list it. And so you may not find the time benefit there. Um, yeah. I do when I get things, I do it a lot with scarves or like jewelry because you can yeah. take quick pictures of those. Yeah, I have a weak spot for scarves. <laughs> and especially yeah, me too. Because you're like, ah, it's like a quarter. Uh, so something that I'm really proud of though, um, I had my first ever four thousand dollar sales month on Poshmark in November. 
Um, and that was like huge for me because I been... okay. So tell us what we did. How did you do that? Uh, <laughs> my notes. So I starting in um, September. I have a my best friend actually came to work for me full time, um, and this is actually her last month doing it. Um, but it was for my handmade business, so the Purple Hedgehog and. Um, so she was working on that and that really freed me up to kind of exclusively work on Poshmark. And so I was able to list like 15 to 20 items every day, five days a week. Um, and to really like push that and to go sourcing and to get through my death pile. And um, so it was just a lot of listing, a, a lot of listing, <laughs> 15 to 20 items a day. And it's really hard to do because like after item 10, you just kind of like, hit this space and you can always tell like my first listing is like, Oh, this fabulous 1950s skirt looks so great. It would go with this and this and this in your closet. And my last listing is like, it's a red skirt, please God buy it. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh my God, I'm so tired of doing this. But uh, yeah, so I was really proud of myself. That was one of my goals to hit $4,000 in sales. I have not repeated it and December was terrible, but <laughs> I mean, but that's amazing. And not to applaud December being terrible, but I think every single person that I've talked to has said December was awful. awful. It was even really, it was down a lot for my handmade business too. So yeah, just across the board. December was good for us. Uh, well, so that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, December was good for us, but that's also because the two prior months were not. So I feel like we could only go off from there. So yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to ask you, Tori, the same questions as well. Um, looking back at 2019, what lessons did you learn and then what were you most proud of? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, so lessons learned. We did a lot last year. You know, Bill joined full time. Um, we also tried the bins thing. So I really, Brittany, I feel you here because this is something we were in Seattle and we would go um, to the bins. That's actually how we discovered that Bill had a knack for it um, and that we enjoyed doing it together. So we started doing that and I started um, <coughs> shying away from my typical thrifting. And um, and Brittany was actually very inspiring. She made a comment to me about, you know, just when I stopped going to the regular thrift stores, my closet kind of changed. It it didn't have the same, you know, excitement or passion that I was looking for. So lessons learned is the bins is great, but you still have to pick up items that you're passionate about. And um, what we did at the end of the year, we ended up, now that we're in Spokane, I am going to the regular thrifts. I finally found my like favorite places. So I am being very um, specific with what I pick up and I'm picking up pieces that give me, you know, excitement. Like when I hold it up and show Bill, when I get home, I'm like, look what I found. And um, I think that's important. And I also incorporated that into our Poshmark closets. So with um, Poshmark in my closet, it was, you know, it was curated. I, those of you that go to see my closet, it was very curated. I had a lot of vintage, but I also had like Forever 21 and H&M and, and a lot of anthropology and free people and things that I liked, but that I wasn't excited about. So yeah. at the end of the year, we ended up taking those pieces and putting them in Bill's closet. And then the other pieces that we weren't excited about, we donated or we did a stale box swap. 
Um, and now my closet really is, it's my inventory is less, but I'm really happy with what's in my Poshmark closet. And we're not just putting junk in the other closet. It's more, okay, now your closet is the the main go-to and mine is like a boutique people can come and they know just like with Brittany yeah. they can come to your store and they know that they're going to get something that's unique and not just at the mall yeah. so that was lessons learned from last year and how we applied that and um I'm like really yeah. intrigued to what I know you and Bill are going through and um you have like a new name and you were going through like some new changes and I'm assuming this is part of it and I'm like really excited to see how this does with putting you know all of that stuff into Bill's closet how Bill's clo Bill's closet does but then also having more of a you know curated boutique type closet um because I come yeah. back and forth I like things and if I want to buy them I'm going to do them I prefer to shop at retail thrift stores because I like the experience better but okay. then like the bins are you can't beat the prices you know and so like, awesome. I go back and forth between the two so i'm excited to watch this journey um with the two of you yeah so excited and it's going to lead into something else that i'm going to be doing um that it's very along the same lines i've kind of alluded to it you know essentially online having an online store um that's not just poshmark or not just etsy that kind of thing so that's that's where we're going. Um, Exciting. We'll talk about them more of that lady, but or later. But um, but yeah, and most proud of I, so many things. Last year was just full of you know just being able to communicate with the community and um, <coughs> I, speaking at Posh Fest. I know that's a silly thing, but the fact that I was no, chosen. I mean, it was a crazy thing to be, but I think it helped our business because it also put me in that you know, okay, I'm really gonna go head full, you know, head first into Poshmark. Bill's really into it. He came. So that was kind of a, a big thing from last year that I was, I was proud of. And I think it did help my business. And I think, I mean, I think it's something to be really proud of. It's an exciting thing to be able to be picked out of all the people that, you know, submitted and all the millions of people on Poshmark to speak. They want, I mean, people want to hear you. That is something to be very proud of. It made me feel good. And I think Brittany, did you nominated me? Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, did. I was like, I remember you said something, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so touched. So, that's amazing. Okay, so 2019 in the past. Let's look into 2020. Dig deep into our data. All three of us have gone through. Brittany is going to go through. Have you done a 2019, or you're going to do a kind of big, elaborate 2019? Video. Um, I was going to sort of do that today, but I realized that a lot of what I would be saying was actually, it would be repeated from my goals video. So I, I did my really big deep dive in my goals video and I didn't want to like push that further. So I wanted to sort of like take something shorter and more uh, actively useful for the community and put that out there instead. And that I'm thinking of your goals video because you I recently added the sell through rates to um, the dashboard. And so I'm still trying to like feel the water and using them. And you talked a lot about the sell through rates. And I was like, duh, like, <laughs> we're like, I have to list more items to sell more. And I'm like, well, duh. Like, but what, that like never even dawned on me. Um, so <laughs> we all have videos out there looking at our um, 2019 data. I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper because we have a little bit of different strategies. And also just share with people what types of things that we're looking at 
Um, so if you're not familiar, I do have two dashboards and we will be referring mainly to the dashboards. I think Tori does use um, her own financial tracking spreadsheet. Um, but as far as like looking at average sale price and like inventory and stuff, um, the links for those are down below and you can see videos on what we're talking about, but average sale price. Um, so, and I think I probably know the answer to this, but let's start with Brittany. Are you more, there's kind of two strategies. You, you can either sell a lot of items or you can sell really high price items or you can kind of do a little bit of both. Um, so kind of talk about what kind of seller you are or what you're envisioning for the future um, and why. So I'm actually a little bit of both. Um, and I particularly, particularly was through last year. So um, I, when I looked at my data, I was surprised to find that I think it was uh, somewhere around like 25% of my sales are actually bundle sales. So I find that by having things at multiple price points, it really does encourage a lot of people to bundle items. And, you know, with those scarves and with all of my like boutique items, which are just like pins and jewelry and stuff like that, I'm really using those because I, they're lower priced items, but people don't necessarily want to pay, you know, $7 in shipping on a $10 pin. So while I do sometimes get like single sales from those. I also get a lot of people who add them to bundles with things that they want to purchase. Um, and really the bottom line, like the total ASP for the bundle is what matters to me and not necessarily the individual ASP. So I'll look at something and maybe they add four items to a bundle and I'll look at it and say like, okay, I'm getting $25 for each item that they've bundled. I'm totally fine with that. And I'll accept that offer. So I'm not going to completely eliminate all of my smaller ticket items because they do really help with that bundle, um, you know, sale. Um, but I also just have to be like more careful about like what kind I'm picking up and I want to be, you know, I want them to fit like the theme of my closet. And the nice thing about the boutique items is that I can have like multiple quantities of the same thing. So I'm really only doing the work to list it once. And then I can have like eight or 10 of them on hand and I don't have to list 10 individual different items. So you can kind of look at the time save that way too. Yeah, I like that. And I want, I'm going to ask you a boutique question because I, I read that you do that before and I hadn't thought to do that. Um, at, like, where do you get the boutique? Are you buying it like wholesale? So it depends on where you live. Um, if you live in New York City, there's actually like a whole district where you can go and just go into like actual like stores and they have wholesale items and you can just like pull them off the shelves and check out um, in the store. Um, but where I get them from, because I live in Nashua, New Hampshire, <laughs> is I use mostly AliExpress. And you do have to be very careful about um, what you're purchasing on AliExpress because it is like a Chinese site. Um, and so it's all Chinese manufacturing. And I have some like qualms about a lot of that stuff environmentally. So I have to be careful with that. And then they also are well known for like hijacking people's designs off of like Etsy and things like that. So I have to do research on the designs that I'm buying and making sure that they're not like poached from someone else. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like a super easy place to buy from um, because 
there is a lot of like research that you have to do if you want to sort of approach it in any sort of moral fashion. But um, it Which is. I, I it, <laughs> um, and then, you know, there are wholesalers um, that you can talk to. Obviously, there's the wholesale market on Poshmark. I feel like that's overpriced. But the tricky thing about buying boutique is that for the most part, you have to have declared yourself a business. You have to have um, usually an LLC. You have to have a reseller ID number, a federal tax ID number. And a lot of times when you purchase whole, uh, wholesale, they'll want to know, they'll want you to send like a previous um, good standing invoice or they'll want a note of good standing from your state. So there's a lot of kind of hoops that you have to jump through. Um, <coughs> Renzo is saying, if you have a resale license, you can order wholesale online. And I'm- That is true, but it, every single um, wholesaler is a little bit different. So some of them have different standards and the ones that- um, are going to be like higher dollar items. A lot of times they will want like a previous invoice from another company, basically like references. They want to know that you're serious about, um, because they'll assign you a rep and they'll go back and forth with you. Um, but I don't do all of that yet. It's, it is something that I'm thinking about for the future, but yeah, right now I just get my stuff online. So. Okay. Interesting. That was a total sidetrack. <laughs> I didn't mean to ask you. So here we go. Um, okay, so Tori, same question. Are you more of a quantity seller? I think this between you and Bill, um, but if you want to speak to it a little bit more, more of a quantity seller or um, an ASP seller, a little bit of both, and why? So quantity, it's always been quantity. Um, I have never had a lot of luck finding a lot of quality pieces. So that's why we're kind of changing as we go into this new year, because what I found is the definition of quality um, is is changing for me because last year when I thought of quality, I thought of all those sellers that are doing you know fifty dollars and above sales, and I have rarely get any sales. You know, I did a video on like my top selling items, and I had like nothing over a hundred dollars. And a lot of people have sales over a hundred dollars. I'm like, I don't, I can't get there. So for me, it was you know last year specifically was you know getting lower end pieces, selling more of those because that's how we were going to make the money. <laughs> We'll have to do that because we don't have the higher end pieces. But one of the things I'm finding, especially as a vintage seller, is there are special vintage pieces that I have been selling for too little. And Brittany's always been super awesome with coming in and saying, Tori, that's too low. What are you doing? You know, because in my mind, I'm thinking Buffalo Exchange brain, where it's like, oh, well, you need to keep your vintage between like 18 and 20 bucks. Like, um, but now, you know, I did sell uh, like a $98 vintage piece last year, which made me feel like, okay, it's possible, um, which also has an impact. Oh, what's that? Uh, the other hard thing with um, vintage is like, you can't look up a comp. Like you can't look up the style number. And I mean, so you can kind of look up comps, but not to, so unless you really know the vintage, it's hard, I feel like to price it accordingly. Exactly, exactly. And that's where you kind of have to trust your instincts. And so I know that I have good instincts. I, I mean, I trust my style. I, you know, I really do but I've just discounted um, my pricing so much that I kind of questioned on if it'll sell. But now, and that's going into you know this new strategy 
focusing more on quality pieces. So if I find one quality piece, and there was one dress I picked up recently, Brittany, which I mean, I can tell quality just from looking at it because that's, you know, that just comes with the the different seams and all of that stuff. I picked up this dress and Brittany pulled up some comps and they, there were some on first dibs that were going for like 800 to $1,000. Yeah. Um, and it's so there you can still find the quality pieces, but I'm going to do a little bit of a mix, but nothing that will get less than ten dollars um, is really what I'm hoping. at, And that's with sending out offers to likers. So combination of all of it, but really trying to focus more on those quality pieces. Yeah. Okay, so um, top brands, and you actually very fittingly today, um, Brittany, <laughs> a top brand. So definitely head over to her YouTube channel and watch it. Um, it was fantastic. She brought up a couple of things, and I was like, "Huh, that's I'm going to check that out for sure." Um, but let's talk about your top brands and what metrics you use to quantify your top brands. There's in the dashboards. There's so I mean, you can look at days on hand and sell through rates, and um, average sale price, your gross or your, you know, your total amount sold, your quantity, mm -hmm. it's lots of different metrics. And depending on your strategy is going to depend on what you are going to qualify as a top brand. So um, I think Girly Girl Style said that she had her dashboard brought up. <laughs> and Brittany, you just went through your video. So yeah. um, let's start again. We'll just go, you know, along the way. Brittany, let's go through your top brands and then how you decide it's a top brand. So what I looked at when I was going through mine was um, my total dollar sold combined with my uh, quantity sold. So the reason that I did that is because I want consistency and you could have like maybe a Louis Vuitton purse that you sell and it's $1,400 and it comes in as your you know, number three top brand, but how often are you going to find that? So what I'm looking at is what have I consistently found and listed that has sold in a quantity enough to give me um, like a worthwhile bulk that's showing up on this dashboard. So my top brand, top of the top was Mod Cloth. Uh, no surprise there. <laughs> I have a top of it in my closet. So I actually source a lot for my closet as well. Um, I don't actually find a ton of it in the wild. Um, I think that a lot of people think that I like find it at thrift stores and stuff. I don't. I buy it on ThreadUp. I source from my own closet. I buy from Mod Cloth's like clearance sales. Um, so do you, let me interrupt you real quick. When you're buying other places than thrift stores, are you buying it to, like you're sourcing it to sell or you're buying it for yourself and then you flip it? Um, both. So sometimes I buy things for myself and I wear them once or twice and then I flip them. And sometimes I go on like mod cloths clearance sales and I sort out by um, lowest price and I look to see, okay, is there anything that I think is actually like a hidden gem that's worth it that I can sort of retail arbitrage and flip. Um, and I have had good luck with that. And then if I shop on like ThreadUp or something like that, I'm specifically buying it to resell. Interesting. And I've heard a lot of people saying that. Mm. And I love thrifting. <laughs> I don't know that I could like, I, I mean, I part of doing this is I really love going to the thrift stores. Um, well, one of the nice things um, that I found, and especially when I had like my little baby was, 
I didn't want to take him out to the thrift store um, and I didn't have daycare uh, and I didn't have anyone to watch him. So a lot of that, like learning how to couch thrift is actually like really useful if you're disabled or you're just not able to get out of the house or you don't have a car or you have a little baby at home. Like there's so many different reasons that you might want to thrift online. And I'm finding that there is actually like a ton of places that you can do that. You know, there's Schoola, there's swap.com, there's um, ThreadUp, and there's um, a couple of vintage sites too. A lot of people source on eBay. So it's definitely like a lot of places and like knowing how to do it can be really helpful. If you get snowed in, it's nice to sit by the fire and source. <laughs> so there's, there's your next video. Yeah. And while Tori answers the question, can you type all those out in the comments? All of what? The store, all the places you just said. Oh, you want all my secrets? <laughs> yeah. A couple of them. You don't have to share all of them, but a couple of them. Um, because I think I've heard, read a lot of people, and I was talking with a friend of mine today. I think a lot of resellers, not all, but a lot of resellers are people with a disability because they can work on their own schedule and from home. Yeah. And then a lot of moms. Um, and yeah. so being able to source other places, I think, would definitely be helpful. Yeah. Okay, your turn, Tori. <laughs> what are your top brands and what metrics do you look at to kind of decide? So for me, I have my dashboard up because I love the data and I like to look at it and it helps me formulate my ADD brain. Um, so for me, what I'm looking at, my number one brand to sell is vintage. Um, and that is based on quantity. So the number of pieces that I've sold, it's one of the highest brands that I've sold quantity wise. Also with the um, price, so how much money I've made. So I've made most of my money from vintage and uh, um, that's that's because it's what I source. So the numbers I think are a little bit skewed um, because that is typically what I mostly sell. So uh, you know, <laughs> there's gonna be that outlier. But if I'm looking at like brands specifically, so not just vintage because vintage is like anthro, you know, it's gonna be a bucket that a lot of things fall in. But there are certain brands that I will always pick up that are definitely high return on investment, which are my top brands because of the monetary um, return on investment and days to flip. And that is like Fry. Um, Fry is one of my, yeah, of course, Fry, no shocker there. Um, what else? I have it pulled up here. So John Flubog, if I can ever find John Flubog, because Flubog is amazing. Um, and then Doc, Doc Martens. I still have luck with Doc Martens um, 100%. And my average price for all of those is like 55 for the John Fluvogs and um, Fry's $67 is the average sale price. So that's kind of you know those major brands and why I feel that those are my top uh, ones. Um, now those brands, do you feel that you find a lot or are those more like Bolo brands for you? Those are my bolos. Yeah, especially here in Spokane. It's very challenging. Um, Doc Martens I do find, which is surprising. But yeah, the other is it's more like you see them. Or, and then, of course, you have your Rothy's or Teaks or whatever. I found one pair of Teaks one time and I was like, this is amazing. But yeah, that's a bolo for sure. So my daughter will go. I have a two and a five year old and then a 14 year old. And my two year old is like, don't take him near a thrift store. He's chaos. But my five year old will go with me for like, <clears throat> I don't know, a half.
half hour maybe, but she's the perfect level. So like a lot of the thrift stores around us put like all of the flats on the bottom levels. So I've taught her what the bottom of um, teeks look, tights look like. And so she like goes, mommy, I think I found him. And she's like the perfect level. And she's also the perfect level to find like the Lululemon on the bottom of leggings. <laughs> I'm teaching her how to source. Excellent. Um, we have a couple questions, I think. Oh no, that was you. <laughs> Brittany, you're talking with someone. <laughs> okay, I think we're good. I saw a question. That was I your to figure out how to like actually chat on this thing. So I was like, oh, I'll just open YouTube in a separate window. <laughs> Oh, do you guys, cause I have like the main, so I don't know what it looks like for you, but I have, it's like on YouTube where it's like on the side. Yeah. I have a private chat and then I see live comments, but there's nowhere for me to type a comment. So um, I think the private chat goes to everybody. Let me test. Did that go to everybody? No, it went to the private chat. Yeah. So that, that's it. Oh yeah. So I see a private, I can see. Oh yes. Okay, so we can only chat to you. Yeah. <laughs> so if I want to tell you to say something, that's where I would tell you, hey, say this. Okay. Um, well now I don't know how to get out of there back to the comments. Okay, there we go. So I can that's good to know for the future people to pull up YouTube. Okay, so we talked about our top brands. Now let's talk about top categories. What categories are you going to be looking for in 20, you know, based off of what you've done in the past, you've both looked at your data, what <laughs> categories are you looking at? And this will likely fall similar to the top rounds, but maybe not. Um, what metrics are you looking that are considered, um, you know, make it a top category? Oh, we can so, talk, sorry. Go ahead, Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> I just go in order here. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> So for top, um, categories i was looking at my average sale price so for me those were bags and dresses and shoes were my top three average sale price um and then i had tops was my most sold but i think my average sale price was somewhere around 17 dollars. so it wasn't quite where i wanted to get my asp to but because it is one of my top sellers i'm not not going to stop sourcing it i'm just going to start sourcing a little smarter and try and get that asp up even if i can get it up to like 19 or 20 dollars, every single bit helps um but when I was looking at my ASP for the three top categories, I was like, you know what? Those all have good sell-through rates and I want to get that money for it. So I'm going to be willing to sit on those particular items a little bit longer. So now where I used to try and have a three-month sell-through rate, I'm giving all of those items a six-month sell-through rate. So dresses, shoes, and bags are all going to have a longer time before I mark them down in my closet. Um, I'm just going to give them more of a chance to sell at that higher price than I would for maybe a top, which because of the lower sell through or the lower average sale price, I want to try and get in and out of my closet quickly. So that's kind of how I'm looking at that. And you mentioned this in your last video and it got me thinking, cause I'm moving towards a higher um, average sale price, mostly because of time I'm trying to do, you know, I stay at home with, I don't have time. And so I'm like, I'm going to yeah. and then spend, I want to spend a little bit more time on youtube and building up the analytics facebook group mm -hmm. um and so i'm looking more at and now i forgot what i was going to say with that 
I went down on a tangent and you brought up something. Oh, for letting it sit longer. So I have these items and I'm like, oh my God, it's been a week and it hasn't sold yet. And you know, so you really hit home and I watched your video talking a little bit about that too. If it's a higher price, I think it takes a more unique customer to come in and say, okay, I will spend $50 as opposed to, eh, I'll spend $15. You know, like they'll easily spend the $15. Yeah. And I notice that a lot with vintage too. Like I will have something, um, you know, with Etsy, it's like a list it and forget it situation. So you don't have to like share anything. All of your stuff just automatically renews and I'll have someone come in and like, I've had something listed for a year and a half and someone comes in and buys at full price. So it's just about finding that right customer. And I was a lot more patient on Etsy than I was on Poshmark. And I think that because you're sharing your items every day, because you're seeing them every day and clicking them and sort of touching them every single day, uh, it feels like you've had them a lot longer than you have. So one of the things I started doing um, back in January of last year when I started my inventory system was to put a date code at the bottom of my listing so I can see like, okay, it feels like I've had this forever, but actually it's only been listed a month and a half. So that's really helped me like calm down how much I'm sending out offers to people and what percentage I'm sending out offers as well. That's on my list. It probably will never happen. I'm going to to go do that. It's great. <laughs> but I can see it being helpful, especially now that Posh has added that extra field to easily. Well, if you put it in the extra field, you can't see it easily. So if you put it at the bottom of your listing or at the end of your title, then you can see it at a glance. But if it's in that extra field, it's hidden unless you click on um, edit. Yeah, and I'm not going to do that either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Tori, same question. Uh, let's talk about the top categories. Um, oh, I wanted to say something on tops really quick, too. So something that I notice on something that is selling at a lower price, but faster, if I can find efficiency. So like, do you find that it's quicker to take pictures or list tops? Or is there any way that you could like, do you know what? I don't do a lot of tops. Um, well, I like to. I'll actually show. So I have a very, very fast system. So I take my pictures and um, measure my items and inventory and bag them and put them away in under five minutes per item. So I have a, sheet that I print out and it's basically got um, spots for the brand, the size, the item description, the bus measurement, you know, all the different pieces Ooh, my, my inventory number at the end. Um, and so, you know, I've got my sheet with me and I go through and um, with tops, I just do the bust and the length. I stopped doing sleeve and seam because I did a poll and found that nobody even gave two craps about it. So um, that has definitely sped up my listing. And I have a set uh, number of pictures that I do. So I do top, side, back, a close-up detail of something interesting, and then tag photos. And that's it. So it's just, it's very quick. Um, but you have to have like a system down. And it definitely does help. Yeah. Um, I love that sheet. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually do some voice to text on Google <coughs> so I can like take, I can go through and be taking pictures and talk as I'm saying, so I don't have to like write it down. Um, and then I find too, if you do like batch photos, if you have enough, you know, if you do all yeah. your shirts together and all your shoes together, everything's set up, yeah. um, that tends to help me as well. Okay. Sorry, Tori. I didn't mean to interrupt, but on no. to your top categories um, and what metrics are you looking at? 
Absolutely. And um, some of the comments that are coming through, Jacob was also commenting that it was hard for him to get used to not marking things down. Um, I think that's something we all struggled with. I will tell you that was one of the things like even this year uh, or the end of last year, I started really getting into closet clear out after pop, you know, after pop yeah. fest. And it just got to this point where you're seeing every day, don't forget, do offers to likers, don't forget, do closet clear out. And you're just that mindset is get it out fast, get it out fast. That's where I'm stepping back, just like you, Brittany. It's like, yeah. okay, stop. You know, let's make sure that it's listed for a long enough time, especially with unique pieces. They're not going to sell in the first couple of days. They're not. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to, Jacob. I think we, most of us, have been there 100. Um, percent I struggle with that. I don't. Know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Why is selling? <laughs> um, and then let's see. Uh, and then Jacob, you said that you lose access to the hidden fields when it sells. You can actually still pull it up in your um, sales inventory, report, no, right? inventory report. Inventory report. So yeah. So I mean, you still have oh, to pull no, wait. It. You're right. No, it's a sales report because it's already sold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm like, wait. What am I saying? Okay. So yeah, sales report. So it is there, but it's that extra work. So yeah. Um, so for me, categories, um, this was not shocking. And I love the dashboard because it reiterated so many of the things that I thought or that I was like glancing at and I had a feeling. So it's just nice to see the hard data. Um, for me, my top category is shoes, um, but we don't find a lot of shoes. So that kind of changes. Flexibility is important, right? Um, but the reason that shoes is number one, is number one, same thing, average sale price. That's the first thing I looked at. Because I also, as I talked about, want to raise my average sale price. I want those quality pieces that I'm going to get more for so it's less work. Um, I do have a full-time <laughs> job. I spend a lot of time on Poshmark. I spend a lot of time on YouTube. I spend a lot of time doing a thousand other things. So if I could get um, that, that number up, I really want that. And it also is one of my top... Um, number of items sold. So it's not the top number of items sold that, that is tops, <laughs> but it's my average sell price is $13 for top. So that's a lot of work without a lot of return. So yeah, no, that does impact what I'm looking for. I don't go down the top section um, unless I'm doing a mystery box swap and I need a lot of items to fill a box, Brittany. Yes, yes. Um, but that and then jackets. So jackets is the other one for me because jackets is something that, um, number one, my average sale price is about $20, which is great. That's where I wanted, especially if my cost of goods is, you know, around the $2 and 50 cent mark. And then I also sell a lot of them. They're my second, um, highest selling item. So, um, shoes, jackets, those are my, those are my best categories. Um, I wanted to, I don't want to interrupt. Um, my husband told me in the last one, I interrupted too much. So now I'm like overly cautious about it. But I did want to know on the closet clear out, like we see it all the time and we do it. And if you have the dashboard, we do a monthly deep dive where, you know, everyone, we test a scenario or I look at everyone's certain data. And a couple months ago, we did a closet clear out deep dive. So, you know, one closet clear out, we all tried to drop our prices a certain amount and see if it encouraged sales. And one time we nobody did anything and you know we did a couple different test scenarios and the end result was it doesn't do jack <laughs> so that's just for the the people that are out there and watching are like how to clear out do i want to partake or not i mean everybody is different but on the large scale when we tested it the closet clear out was kind of like womp, womp. 
Um, and then relisting, I'm going to go back to, I relist a lot because I can't source a lot. But you've, and Brittany, you've encouraged me to sit on items a little bit longer now. And so I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, we're going to see. I'm going to try yeah. to not relist for six months because then I can really look at the data too. Because what happens is that I relist and then when I look at it, it's not really a true picture of what's happening because that item had been relisted, right? Right, yeah. I don't really. So I'm going to, I mean, wish me luck in six months, see if I can do it. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that helped me was, do you remember, um, in my analysis video, I figured that I needed to get to somewhere around 800 listings. And you actually gave me the actual number. It was like 768 or something like that. So the more that you like mark down items and try and like clearance them out, the further you get from like being able to achieve that gold number. So I've been really like, I'm like, I'm trying to get to 800 items. Why am I going to take all these super low offers or send out super low, you know, um, offer to likers if I'm trying to build my closet? Um, so it's just like counterintuitive. So. And I think yeah. for me is I don't have a lot of time to source. So I'm trying to be more productive in my sourcing. Um, and it, I mean, last time I last, I went shopping last weekend and I got 81 items. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and I have listed half of them already because I'm not like focused on, there's other things on Posh that I'm like, I'm not closet clear out doesn't work. I'm not going to relist anymore. And I can spend time listing new items. Right. Yeah. So you kind of changed my mindset in that. We'll see how it goes. It's a fluid <laughs> thing, you know, I'll check back. I will um, say this. If you do want to participate in a closet clear out, a Sunday um, or a Friday closet clear out is the best one that you can do. Never do a Monday one. Yeah. Well, I've also seen that people that have a really heavy like Instagram following, they will go on. This doesn't work for me because I don't. But um, a lot of people will go on and say, hey, I'm going to go do closet clear out today. Get into my closet now. And then that way, anyone that's interested, they're driven to their closet. And so then that way it makes sense. Still, that doesn't make sense for me, but I could see where they could benefit from that. But mm -hmm. I just for my business model, it does not work. Yeah, and I do want to note that we are only three people who sell on Poshmark, not everybody. So our <laughs> are also not the only strategies out there. Um, I will continue to have different people on so we can talk about lots of different things. So I just want to note that we're not the end all be all <laughs> of all things Poshmark. This is just what we back for us. Um, okay, so sell through rates. These were just recently added to the dashboard. Um, I waited. I had a lot of people. <clears throat> me for this and for size data and I really hesitated in giving it because before we have the inventory report unless if you're selling lots of dresses but all you buy is dresses and that's not really telling you I mean it's telling you something but it's not really good qualitative um or analytical data so I waited but then once I came, I came out with the inventory report I was like yes jackpot we can look at sizes we can look at subcategories in a um useful way. Um, yeah. So sell through rates have been added. I'm still muddling through because it is a lot of data mm -hmm. at your subcategories and your sizes by categories. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the sell through rates with you guys. Did anything catch you by surprise with the sell through rates? Um, and then are you using them for your 2020 goals? So yes. Um, a lot of things I kind of like expected, um, but shorts caught me really off guard. So I always thought that like during the summertime, like you need to be listing shorts. They do so well um, when reality is for me, they don't. So shorts had like the longest um, 
average days on hand and like one of the lowest selling prices in my closet and the sell through it was just terrible i was just like why do i even do this it's like a complete waste of my time so i decided that even though i might still like source shorts unless they're like a really good brand or i can list them for like 35 dollars or more i'm just going to take them to consignment so it doesn't mean that i'm not going to pick them up at the bins but it does mean that i'm not going to use my time to list them on poshmark so and a couple of things that I, uh, yeah, a couple of things that I really looked at was I took those categories that we've already talked about, the ones that I thought were, you know, my favorite or the highest um, doing, highest doing, highest selling. Um, and then I went deeper because I wanted to find out if, if I'm going to continue to focus on shoes and on jackets, well, I want to spend my time wisely. <laughs> so with shoes, it was interesting. I have sold all of the sizes of shoes that I've listed. So there hasn't been like a size that didn't sell. Um, but definitely there were more sizes that sold 100% um, from listing, like size eight. So I did discover size eight for me has sold every single size eight that I've ever sold has sold. So that's interesting. Um, and then jackets, because y'all know I love me and my jackets and my blazers and I pick them up all the time. One thing that stood out to me is petites for me. I have on hand with none sold. The only ones that were listed there were petites. So that tells me that either if it's a vintage item and it says petite, I need to stop putting the petite in there because especially with vintage, the size doesn't matter. Um, you're, I'm going to give, I mean, the size is important, but it's more of approximate measurements and estimate sizes. So I started doing that. I think it's going to work. Um, and then petite, yeah, it just isn't for me something that seems to, to do well. And I got all that from just looking at that data, the real data, not just guessing. So that was really eye opening. Well, and that, so that's something that I'm considering when I was looking at the um, sell through weights, it wasn't necessarily like they're not selling, but like I need to recategorize things. Um, like I have a lot of vintage jeans that can be like unisex. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to tie them in men's now or in your whichever way and see because they're just sitting there. Um, and then shoes as well. Like when I'm outsourcing and I'm like iffy about something, now I look at the size where before I didn't. And now like petites never sell for me or juniors. I don't know if you guys ever had like. Yeah, juniors. no juniors. <laughs> so I was considering and I was like, I don't want to be. Um, unethical and not put it under juniors if it's not but also i might just put it under like a medium <laughs> and see yeah. how people are sourcing and skirts that was the other thing skirts you can only be or skirts and dresses you can only be a midi or a mini and like there's knee length most of my dresses are knee length so i'm gonna go yeah. through and take them out and see if what i have on hand is already is going to sell just based off of recategorizing which i would have never known without looking at the sell-through rates um, so we are getting close to the end. This won't kick us off or anything, but I know that it's, you know, getting bedtime for your kiddos, Brittany, and everyone has a life. But I do want to talk. We all sell vintage, and I love vintage. We all love vintage, but there's little um, quirks that everyone picks up different things. And so I want to know um, kind of what kind of vintage do you sell? Like if you specifically look for anything or if you kind of are just open to all the vintage or if you have like a little niche within vintage. So I definitely have like things that I pick up in particular. I do not believe that all vintage is created equal. Um, there are some very ugly things that were made in the past and they need to stay at the thrift store. Um, but sometimes so, they need to be seen. Like the 80s, like big bows. 
are so Listen, you're talking to someone who went to the bins yesterday and picked up a fluorescent orange cape. So some things need to be seen. Yeah. Other things don't. <laughs> yeah. So I particularly pick up a lot of like 50 stuff, 70s stuff, um, mod stuff. And then that like 80s, 90s stuff that you would kind of like see at Urban Outfitters. So the way that I like to think of it is like if Mod Cloth and Urban Outfitters like had a baby, that's me and vintage. <laughs> so that's sort of what I sell. Um, I do a lot, obviously, with novelty prints. If you can find good novelty prints um, in vintage, I'm always picking those up. Um, but yeah, that's just what interests me. So that is what I sell. And it's not necessarily always stuff that I would wear. Like I sell a lot of like trousers or, you know, things that I would kind of see um, on Pinterest or at Urban Outfitters. And I like the aesthetic and I like what people do with it. And I think that it's interesting, but I can separate myself from that because that's not like what I would wear. So I'm more of like the 50s and 70s person, and then I can still appreciate the other aesthetics, but. Yeah, and so, and I'm uh, kind of the opposite because I definitely buy things that I would wear. So that's, you know, as opposed to just looking at the whole picture, because I have to know it down because if not I'd buy everything right so for me it's like jackets um I love jackets I live in jackets I have a closet a narrowed down personal closet by the way got rid of some things but um lots of blazers and I love the way vintage blazers fit and I love to bring them into modern wear so how you know to make them more modern um so I look at jackets I love dresses and the shapes of dresses because even in the 80s there were so many super cool shapes that we don't see today so you'll get the the broad shoulder and then the cinched in waist with the tulip skirt and then the patterns um so like Brittany, I love a great pattern. I think that the colors and the patterns, that's something that's gonna you know, have you stand out. And when I'm looking for my vintage pieces, I think of not just myself, but who my audience is, who my girl is. Um, what would she want to be seen in? Does she want to wear a pair of, you know, black vintage, you know, a black vintage dress? I have a few of those, but there has to be something about it yeah. that makes it stand out, that makes it a special piece. So that's kind of for me, um, the color, the shapes. I don't do a lot of, I, I think 50s, that, that's harder for me because that style isn't a, a style that I can modernize very well, if that uh, makes sense Yeah, for me. no, you have to go like full retro to like- Exactly. Yeah. But so I it's a little bit harder. Fun. I love the 50s and I love, like I love a lot of the things that you are listing, Brittany, and I, but I don't see it a lot. So I think some of it is your sourcing. I find, and maybe I just know 80s better. I find so much stuff from the 80s and I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did not say no to an 80s prom dress to save my life. And I saw a lot of them, but like, they're just absolutely amazing. But I don't see a lot of 50s stuff. I think the thrift stores in my area, most of them save a lot of their vintage for Halloween. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, so sometimes the 80 slips through because it's not necessary. Like they don't, they're not yeah. up to date on trends. So for all of that, like older stuff, there's, um, you learn some like tricks when you're a vintage seller. So actually the bins are really good because a lot of times like Goodwill, they don't want to put that really older, that older stuff out or they might get like a whole closet donation and they just toss it all into the bins. So I found some stuff that way. 
um, estate sales. Like this Saturday, I'm going to an estate sale. It's supposed to be vintage clothing from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, follow along on my Instagram for that one. <laughs> um, and then also I go to a vintage fashion show every year in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. And it's a pay per enter and the prices are a little bit higher. Um, but it's just like a kind of culmination of all these people selling vintage. So I'm able to kind of like go through and pick out some of those like novelty prints or, and you pay up for them. It's not like I'm paying, you know, five or $6. I might pay 25 to $50 for a dress, but when I sell it for 150, like that's more worth it. Um, and then after that, there's the Brimfield flea market. So that is a whole week of vintage, um, and there's actually like a vintage fashion tent and you can find like specific people who like if you're at a flea market and you see this guy and he's got like a ton of tools and like train cars and stuff and like this one vintage dress hanging off to the side like he doesn't want that he doesn't want to tote it around with him so if you go up and you're like how much you want to pay for it like, yeah exactly and they're usually like i don't know five dollars and then if you like start to walk away they're like wait wait three take yeah. it so you know well, really, how do you find how do you find the time to source all these places because in my mind i've got like my two places that i go to because i don't have time to source i mean literally i think it's like three hours a week is all i have so <laughs> i mean how do you find the time you're a superwoman <laughs> well i with like the brimfield trip and the um the textile show those are back to back so it's a monday and then brimfield starts right after that and i make like a special trip every single year so i go with a friend we go get a hotel room um and it's only about an hour drive but it's nice to like stay down there and then you wake up early and you go down to brimfield uh during the summers you know flea marketing on a sunday is always like kind of fun for me i can take my kids um it's just kind of like i just love to do it so i just squeeze in time whenever i can Awesome. That's How awesome. old are your kids? Your kids are still little, right? Yeah, uh, 19 months and four years. And your 19 month will go. My like, I want to take my two year old anywhere. <laughs> like he's <laughs> I don't want to yeah. say he's yeah. out a lot, so he likes to ride in the cart. Um, yeah. And then my four year old thinks like thrifting is the best thing ever. He always wants to go to the Goodwill bins because he gets toys. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. And that's how I can bribe my five-year-old. But my two-year-old is, like, not having it. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's wrap it up. A couple questions. Uh, Tori, we have talked the reseller side, but you also have YouTube, you Instagram, but your YouTube is, like, really popping. I've noticed you're doing a lot of videos out there. Um, you and Bill, we talked on it. You're starting a new venture. Anything you want to talk about, tell us about your YouTube and where you're kind of seeing things going um, this year? So yeah, we're so we're we're trying new things. Um, we you know Poshmark is great, but it's only one avenue. And I've always been a proponent of having multiple streams of income and um, being really transparent. So one of the things that we are looking into, and I mentioned it earlier, is doing an actual storefront um, instead of just relying on Poshmark because for us, cross listing, it's just not something that we get passionate about. I don't have the time to do it. Um, but going back to YouTube, so that's connected because we just created a new brand that's a joint brand that represents the both of us. And it's not what we've been doing up to this point has been girly girl style, three, two, four finds. We're, you know, two people running a business, but we're separate. So we're really trying to bring the two of us together since we've been 
you know, doing it for the last eight months together. And um, we're going to be doing more of those lives that we talked about. So more live, just like you said, um, all these live interactions, we're looking at doing a Patreon group, um, something like that, where we can give one-on-one -on -one information to people. Cause we've had people ask for like special tutoring and, um, and we're not talking about major expenses here. We're not doing classes. I don't, I'm not gonna say I don't believe in it. That's not our direction, but um, just really being able to find the time for us to give back even more than we are. And then, like I mentioned, or you mentioned, our goal for $10,000 to charity this year. So we're essentially going to be donating all of our reseller income this year. Um, we're planning on doing, we're, our goal is to get $800 a month to different charities. So it's we want to do a different charity yeah, every single month. <laughs> so then that way, it's, you know, we can spread it around. So we've always given a lot anyway, but by setting that monetary goal, I think it just makes a big, a big, a big impact. So, well, you're so, yeah. amazing. Like, <laughs> and so are you, both of you. <laughs> um, okay. So Brittany, focusing, uh, you, and you didn't mention this, um, sizes. I've read on your Instagram and some on your YouTube as well, that you're trying to diversify your sizes. Um, kind of tell me a little bit about how you came to this and how you, I have a hard time. I like it in theory, but I don't find all the sizes all the time. Right. Um, so kind of walk us through a little bit of that. Um, so, you know, being a part of that mod cloth group, you mod cloth cloth is one of those companies who does preach, you know, size inclusivity. And so naturally like the gathering of women that are in those groups are very like, a variety of sizes and just like very inclusive. Um, there's a lot of body positivity in that group. So it was, it's just great to see like so many different women just like killing it in all different sizes. You know, they might wear the same dress and it's just like, it looks amazing on everybody. Um, and I think that there's just not a lot of companies out there and there's, you know, not a lot of resellers out there who make it a point to be size inclusive. Um, anything from like the language, like I don't really like to say, you know, the like plus size, it's just, it's just a different size. It's just, so I usually use like extended sizes. Um, and so from everything to like your, your language and like your cover shots, like, are you selling a plus size dress, but you're using the stock image of like a really skinny model? Like they don't want to see that, you know, it's not like an actual accurate representation of, um, you know, the garment that you're trying to sell. So all of that kind of just like came together, you know, in this year and uh, my, my extended sizes always have sold really well, especially like, 1x to 3x um <clears throat> and the buyers are they offer like really reasonable prices they come back again and again they're always so happy with their stuff um and i just do really well with that so i made it a point that this year i was going to uh you know get a plus size mannequin um so it's only a size 1x it's not like you know, it's still on the smaller side, I guess, but it is better than this, like representing those things either on a hanger or with the size eight dress form that I have. Um, and so I've just kind of been pushing for that. And obviously you, you could like, like a lot of thrift stores do have like a plus size section now. So I do kind of comb through that. <clears throat> on the other hand, I also feel, um, 
sort of bad, like buying the really cute items out of those sections when I feel like there's not a lot of offerings for the customers in the store who might be looking for those anyway. So what I've been doing is um, like in my mod cloth groups or in other groups, I will see people that say, you know, I really need to clean out my closet, but I just don't have time to list all this stuff on Poshmark and I'll contact them and be like, Hey, I saw that you want to clean out your closet, but you don't have time to list this stuff on Poshmark. I sell on Poshmark. You know, if you're willing to let me resell this stuff, I'll buy it outright from you. You know, I can't pay a ton, but I can give you like a decent amount for it. Um, and I do tend to pay like a higher price for my extended size stuff, but I'm kind of sourcing it in unusual places. Um, and then actually the bins have been pretty good for me finding some stuff. And I don't have any qualms about picking that stuff up there because if I don't pick it up, it's going to get, you know, tossed into the recycle pile um, at the end of the day anyway. So, well, you are like a <laughs> hustler. I mean, you have like your hands in all the different sorts of places. And I'm like, I, I'm like you, Tori. I have like my three places and I'm like, I'm going to go somewhere else. And then I'm like, I don't want to drive any further. Like I only have so many hours to source. I don't want to spend this. And I always find good things, you know? Um, but I do think you brought out some valid points. I may start looking into doing some, what did you call it? Couch thrifting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go to bed when I am. Cause oftentimes I rarely have a death pile because I don't have enough time to usually source. Um, mm -hmm. so, we have gone over an hour, so I am going to wrap it up. Um, any last pieces of advice on anything reseller if you want to um, put it out there. Wow. Okay. Tori, you go first now. <laughs> well, first. Um, I, you know, I, just something that was top of mind today um, for reselling in general is just making sure that you have multiple streams of income. And I'm going to say this today because it's something that's really relevant to me right now. Um, you know, I think that, uh, that applies to everybody. So whether you're cross-listing on different platforms, you are out there making money on YouTube or talking to people in your, you know, uh, mod cloth group or whatever it is, using Facebook Marketplace, um, you know, doing a side hustle other than selling clothes, whatever that is, I think it's so important. So um, I'm going to stand by that today as my most important tip of the day is just make sure you diversify. So in case something happens like <clears throat> Poshmark server going down, um, you don't feel it as much as you might have. So that's it. And I agree. And I think, and I've seen a couple, um, you know, bigger resellers say this, but reselling is only getting bigger. And so you're going to get more saturated and you're going to get more people. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't do it. It just means that we have to do it smarter and diversify and figure out ways to make it work. And business is fluid and you have to constantly be looking back at your strategies. Exactly. I remember, so I've been doing this for 25 years. I'm not online, mind you, not online, but it's the same thing. It's happened many years ago. Everyone said it's slowing down. It's saturated. We're never going to be able to, to continue to build this. And you know what? Yeah, we are. It's just being flexible, being just very mindful. So, yeah. I will say that um, when you're looking at your different streams of income, don't necessarily consider like eBay, one string of income and Mercari, another string of income. It's like, it's all of that is kind of in the like reselling realm. And you're, you don't want to like overextend yourself trying to cross post all these different places that you can't commit to. You need to look at 
achieving income from different things that are maybe like passive or that don't necessarily require like active attention all of the time um, and aren't necessarily all like the same thing, but in different places, if that makes sense. Um, and I've kind of, I, I noted on this on my 2020 goals, I'm going to touch base in quarter two. I'm on Poshmark and on eBay and I, I feel like I may be overextended and it may not, I mean, it's a cost benefit. I'm spending more time on eBay. Is it really worth my time or could I be yeah. doing things elsewhere? And you always have to be looking at these things <laughs> considering them. That's it. I'm going to wrap this up. You guys have been absolutely lovely. Um, if you guys like videos like this, or if you liked it, give us a like. Um, you can definitely leave comments here. We will check back and answer them. Everyone's links for all of their things that they're doing are going to be in the description down below. Um, I think that's it. Make sure to fill out my survey. I'm super excited to do it. Um, the more data that I have, the better analysis I'm going to be able to do. So that's it. I hope everyone has a wonderful evening. Bye. Thanks Bye. for watching. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh, now I have to end it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> My mouse turned off. There we go. Okay.